Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Minisode 154 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart and good morning Mitch, thank you, thank you for rescheduling a little bit earlier today. Yeah, uh, for date stamp purposes, coming at you at the unusually early time of 9.30am on a Sunday. Doing that though for a very good reason. Yeah, yeah, I don't want anyone out there to be thinking that this has been done in any way so that we are prepared in advance that is not the case we're still very much the fly by the seat of our pants kind of operation that you've come to know and love <laughs> absolutely yep yep uh, if you're thinking that this is driven by us turning over a new leaf of uh, organization then you are sadly mistaken however you're about to get a uh, pumped full of vaccine for the second time i am yeah i'm doing my second dose which i think seems quick um, that does seem quick i would say uh, but yeah, I've got my, my, my second vaccination today, so I'm, I'm stealing myself for that. Lovely. And, and hoping for uh, fewer side effects in the, in the aftermath. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. But aside from that, uh, how has your week been beyond that, viewing-wise, let's say? Well, my week has been extremely busy with day job stuff. Uh, mm-hmm, but I, mm-hmm. I, I did make time to watch something that I promised I would watch. And I know this is not this is a little bit out of sequence here in terms of how we would normally run the show. Okay. But I figured it's a new release. Why not take some time to talk about it? Great White. Great White. Uh, also designed and conceived, of course, as the finale to your Nature Gone Wild side quest. Yes, which comes to a close with this, I suppose, mini-review of Great White. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So, uh, we had been talking about for a few weeks, or you had been talking for a few weeks, about this being the concluding chapter in your Nature Gone Wild side quest. Now, we weren't sure when this was coming out. Uh, our old pal film fan Stevie very helpfully pointed us in the direction of the fact that it had come out like just one, of the, like very, very recently. So, yeah, uh, Great White, tell us a little bit about this one. So what we have here is a struggling kind of husband and wife charter flight company. Okay. <laughs> the bank's knocking on the door. She's pregnant, but he doesn't know it yet. And uh, they receive this kind of lucrative offer to fly this couple out to this reef in the middle of nowhere where they're going to scatter the, the woman's dad's ashes. Okay. Um, so with the help of their friendly chef, Benny, the five of them get into this plane and they head off towards this island. And when they get there, they find this dead guy who's been killed had his legs kind of noshed off and they immediately decide we need to find his boat so they set off (laughs) flying around spiraling around until they locate this upside down wreck and they land this uh, seaplane thing and it's immediately attacked by a shark at this point i have to stress i was a wee bit nervous about the shark stuff because when this shark attacks this plane it looks shocking (laughs) okay but as the kind of film progresses particularly towards the end the shark stuff does get a little bit better okay that's not to say that this is an entirely enjoyable viewing experience, really. Okay. <laughs> because once the, the plane gets attacked, it slowly sinks into the sea. And then what we have is a long, long time of five people stuck on a life raft in the middle of nowhere. And it's quite boring and feels quite low stakes. 
Right. That is unfortunate for a survival horror film. Well, you would hope, like, given the stakes, as you can imagine them, right, they're beset by sharks, they have no water, they have no real kind of means of survival on this raft, really. Yeah, that immediately feels like stakes are high, but it just, it's such a plodding grind that kind of loses any tension that it's trying to build. Um, okay, that's unfortunate. Yeah, Katrina Bowden's in here as well, uh, who obviously people will know from like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil and 30 Rock. Yeah, Scary three, Movie 5. Piranha 3 Double D if you're, if you're feeling particularly scuzzy. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I was one of the I was one of the seven people that saw Scary Movie Five, you know. Oh really? <laughs> I certainly have not seen Scary Movie Five. I don't think I've seen past two. I like three. Four is dreadful. Five, gonna surprise you here. Not good. Right, sure. But yeah, this film isn't really great at all. There's a lot, okay. a, an awful lot of time devoted to sunsets and sunrises and vistas. <laughs> And overhead shots of planes, overhead shots of boats. When you actually boil it down into the human stuff, it's quite bad. Right. So, sad to say, I'm leaving the, the side quest on a low note. Yeah, which, which is, is sad, but also sort of befits the general standards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a competently made film, but it's just nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's just, like, really lethargic and boring given that it's a, a shark attack film yeah i get i like, I like well, i get that but that seems like such a cardinal sin yeah also the shark attack stuff is really boring and largely kind of doesn't really go any further than just a bit of blood in the water sure so some pulled punches there shall we say yeah yeah and i, I know it's a difficult thing to pull off you know, like sharks I, I don't think they take direction particularly well so i think that the, the requirement is for either puppets or kind of digital sharks the digital stuff never looks great and this this film's certainly no exception in that okay okay uh so well i guess we can readdress what we're doing side quest wise shortly do you have anything else to talk about viewing wise just inside number nine well yeah of course another episode of inside number nine came to pass this past monday mm-hmm. season six episode three lip service yeah what we have here is a man who hires a lip reading expert to essentially see if his wife is cheating on him yeah, uh, he suspects that she is having an affair without somebody from her work. So, of course, yeah, we have got uh, the guy who's kind of doing the spying, played by Steve Pemberton. Yeah, Reese Shieldsmith here playing a German hotelier called Mr. It's so It's so weird yeah. when they do these kind of, like, caricature foreign characters. But um, I didn't hate it. It was still kind of fun. No, it was okay. It was all right. But, yeah, obviously, as is always the case with Inside Number 9, things are not as they seem. And uh, it does a pretty good job of feeding you more information kind of in scrap form as it proceeds to just kind of give you odds and sods of the full picture. What did you think of this? I quite liked it. I thought it was nice and twisty. Yeah, uh, me too. I would say I kind of came away being like, oh, this keeps getting better and better. On reflection, I don't know if I prefer it to episode 2, but I certainly still think that it's much more in the right ballpark for me. Yeah, I think I preferred episode 2 to this one, but yeah, it's still pretty good, and like I say, it kept me on my toes for the, the half hour, it was plenty of twists and turns in there. Yeah, sometimes when you get to like the 25 minute mark in a 29 minute episode of Inside Number 9, you sometimes look at it, and when they've piled on the twists in the way that they do in this one, you sometimes are like, uh, I hope they don't overplay their hand with the ending. That's the only thing that I sometimes think with things like that, they can overcook it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that happens here. I think that the ending is quite fanciful, but I'm like, yeah, it just about works for me, I think. Gets it over the line. I think the, the ending of this was quite interesting, but 
I don't know, I feel like it came maybe a minute or two too late. I think it could have done with just a wee bit more fleshing out that that was potentially where it was going. But okay. that's a minor, a minor criticism for what is a pretty strong episode. Absolutely, and of course we will be back next week talking episode four. Well, I would hope so. Now, aside from that, I only have one other thing to talk about this week, and it's something that uh, I'm trying to keep it fresh, keep with the kind of new releases or relatively new releases mm-hmm. uh, week to week with this. Uh, so this week I watched the Netflix original The Woman in the Window. Mm, two weeks in a row, two new Netflix releases. Me last week with Army of the Dead, and you this week with The Woman in the Window. Now, you were texting me during this, so <laughs> I've got a rough idea of where this is going to go. Okay, so The Woman in the Window is directed by Joe Wright. Right, should I know that name? Well, he has previously made things like Anna Karenina. Right. Uh, the adaptation of Keira Knightley in it. Made Hannah with uh, Saoirse Ronan. Oh, right, okay. Also, most recently, made Darkest Hour. With uh, Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Correct, yes, oh, that yeah. Darkest Hour. Now, the last time Gary Oldman worked with his director was on Darkest Hour, and he won an Oscar. Lineup in, uh, of people in front of and behind the camera on this is almost unbelievable. Like, it, it, it really is kind of uh, it's kind of incredible. It's based on a novel by A.J. Finn, who we'll get to. Okay. Um, it was adapted for the screen by Tracy Letts, uh, who is, of oh. course, an excellent playwright, but a brilliant actor as well. Yeah, yeah, he obviously wrote Killer Joe and Bug for William Friedkin. Yeah, also also wrote um, August Osage County, I believe, mm. uh, has been excellent in films like Indignation and Lady Bird and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, he has a cameo here as a very unprofessional therapist, but aside from that, you've got music by Danny Elfman. Oh, okay. And the cast list here, your kind of headline names, are Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Wyatt Russell, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Julianne Moore, and for viewers of Atlanta, such as ourselves, Mm -hmm. we've also got Brian Tyree Henry here, best known, of course, as playing Paperboy on that show. Paperboy, Paperboy. Yeah, uh, here playing a private investigator, and that is weird. (laughs) So, uh, what you have with the woman in the window is uh, Amy Adams, who plays a child psychologist called Anna Fox, who uh, lives alone in this apartment in Manhattan. She is uh, separated from her husband. Mm-hmm. She is agoraphobic. Oh, okay. She's kind of a, she's a little bit of a kind of like blind twitcher, you know? Right. Okay. She's always uh-huh. she's always spying on the neighbors and stuff. And early on, Tracy Letts plays a therapist, and he literally just turns up at her house, wanders around her living room, doesn't make eye contact with her, and asks her like cheeky questions. Okay. Um, and from the, and like just you know just like out with the gate, I was just like, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> uh, so we understand that Amy Adams has myriad problems that are kind of touched on in non-specific ways. Mm-hmm. She also is very heavily medicated and drinks very heavily. Okay. So a family move in across the street here, and the wife or the kind of matriarch of that family, played by Julianne Moore, comes over to uh, say hello, introduces herself. She also meets their son, who's like 15 and really fucking weird. But yeah, they but meet Julianne Moore kind of properly. They become friends. And then uh, one night, this is all very early in the film. This is not spoilery at all. Anna, Amy Adams' character, sees Julianne Moore's character being murdered. Okay, so in a rear window fashion. Yes, it's like, I, actually th- I actually think that uh, having this be your plot and including the word window in your title requires a neck made from solid brass, to be honest. But, um... <laughs> the woman in the rear window. <laughs> Um, and it's basically about her then starting to spy on the family um, and trying to figure out what's going on. Wyatt Russell in this plays her tenant who lives in her basement. On the night that it happens, he said he didn't hear anything. We also uh, find out some stuff about him. And it basically just kind of like unravels and reveals itself from there. Now, the woman in the window, considering the lineup of talent involved in this, it's an almost inconceivable failure. Like, I can't believe how bad this is, considering 
the elements that are at play. It feels like, you know, like some of the smoky thrillers that we used to watch, like Secret uh-huh. Obsession and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It feels like one of those that's been like punched up by this excellent cast and crew. Right. And I kind of feel for people here, like Amy Adams is doing her best to elevate shoddy material, but I think that she's generally great and stuff, but I don't think she's great here. You know how it, in things like this, there is often like the one person who's acting in a different film? Yeah. It's Gary Oldman here. So he plays the <laughs> husband. Uh, sorry, I, I forgot to mention a crucial detail, which is that after she reports the murder, Gary Oldman comes over and he ge- ge- he genuinely sounds like this. He comes over and he's like, what's all this? My wife's still alive. Um, and sure enough, in walks his wife, but it's not Julianne Moore. It's Jennifer Jason Lee. Right. Ooh. Okay. So there's your big twist, right? But Gary Oldman just like flounces in and out of scenes and is just like this horrendously stuffy over-enunciating character with this shock of ludicrous bright white hair. The Ted Danson white. Ted Danson good place white, but like that kind of makes sense. This, I don't know, everything about this feels punched up to 11 in a way that the rest of the film, the rest of the film has this kind of like trashy daytime drama feel about it. Right. But it does all kind of move as one cohesive unit, just not a particularly interesting one. Uh, Gary Oldman just kind of blunders around to this. It's astonishing. I've, I've, I've seen very few things like it. <laughs> but uh, like, it's this just—it's really—it's really not great. The, where this eventually goes is really silly and quite kind of telegraphed. There's a lot of kind of unreliable narratory stuff, which I think has been so heavily shop-worn at this point you've really got to know what you're doing with it mm-hmm. which i don't really think that this does this is really poor i actually i'm like i'm not just saying that i didn't care for that i would actually like actively counsel against it if you're looking for kind of like twisty self-contained claustrophobic mystery thrillers then there are just there's, there are so many better ones out there <laughs> than this but i did do a little bit of digging in and uh so this is based on a book by aj finn as i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. who is, is a bit of a controversial figure Absolutely. in his own right so the woman in the window the reason that this was an attractive property to adapt was that it was a new york times bestseller okay in 2018 in 2019 this guy was exposed by the new yorker of having fabricated a lot of his kind of backstory that maybe would have made him jump off the page a little bit talking about the kind of adversity that he's overcome and stuff like that all right okay he he said that his mother had died of cancer his mother was a cancer survivor fuck (laughs) uh said said that his brother had killed himself um his brother was still alive he also uh, was accused of borrowing without attribution very heavily from the 1995 thriller Wait For It, Copycat. Oh, wow! <laughs> so, yeah, like an interesting one around this, and I kind of feel like all of that stuff would make this a less attractive proposition to adapt. But here we are, The Woman in the Window exists in both book and film form, and I can certainly counsel against the film. Wow, that sounds garbage. You know what? Like, there's a lot of really, really good stuff dropping all over the place right now in the kind of, like, mystery thriller vein. Like, look for five minutes. You will find a better one than this. (laughs) Thank you, Mitch. Now... This is the yes. point in the show where we would normally move on to talk about nature and it going wild, but that is now done. That is gone. It's in the rearview mirror. What we're going to do for our next side quest is the question. Well, I'm glad you asked, Andy, because we've had a couple of suggestions come in this week, but I want to highlight one in particular from Andrew Barron. Okay. Who has suggested... He, well, he, he came at me with a, a very fully formed proposal. Right, okay, blow it on me. For this. So basically what he suggested was, first off, he suggested that rather than it be something that either of us take on as a whole... Uh-huh. that we take it week about. Okay. Which, to be honest, why didn't we think of that? We've been like, oh, it might be a bit long if you do it, but oh, I haven't done one in a while. Why did we not think of taking turns? Because we suck at this. <laughs> yes, it's because we're morons, Andy, but thankfully Andrew Baden is here with that suggestion. Now, what he has pitched to us is that we revisit the films that we have used 
as Mitch's Pitches films. Oh, wow. Okay, right. And we just take turns and do it week about. Right. I mean, some of them we have covered for main episodes, so I'm guessing they are pushed out of the way. Yeah, they're off limits, but I mean, we've done more than 100 of them at this point. So, and he did make a great point. He was like, there is a wealth of this, but also it could go on until the end of recorded time because we're adding one at the rate that we're covering them every week. Yeah. Mm. So, I like that idea. I'm actually just uh, going to move that we install it as being the next side quest, uh, Pitches Revisited. Seconded, motion carried. Lovely. Andrew, well done. Yeah, congratulations. So, speaking of feedback. Of course. Feedback time then, and uh, a couple of things to get through this week. First off, of course, I can say thank you to Andrew for getting in touch uh, with a great side quest suggestion. But we've also got some stuff on some other topics. Laura Bynan on Twitter, I really like this actually. Laura was bored one night uh, this week and just sent us a pitch with no image. She just pitched something. All right, okay. Uh, which is a first, and I welcome it. Uh, newly qualified plumber Mario battles against the demons controlling the inhabitants of an old hotel converted into flats. Can he stem the rising tide of ectoplasm by synchronising the toilets? It's 2022's A Little More Flush. <laughs> filmed in South Wales where life is cheap thanks for that Laura also uh, well done to Sam for once again floating around the pitching orbit yeah absolutely uh, I've got something on Joshua here coming in from Canel. yes now Joshua our uh, film from last week uh, Andy vs Mitch selection a film that I only saw at the beginning of April but yeah I chose it for this week um, and we have had some reactions to that but yeah what did Canel have to say Canel said watching Joshua ahead of the new strong violent PC and this whole film seems to be built around making sure some form of terrible noise happens at all times that's true man like it's just if it's not babies crying it's horrible music uh, like discordant pianos or screaming or crying it's it's yeah it's, it never lets up in that regard film is it uniquely designed to give you a headache no 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 yellow brick road gave me a real headache oh yeah i remember you saying that actually yeah when we had andy benton on the show yeah staying with joshua i want to say hello to kevin matthews uh salt air popcorn on twitter he also reviewed this this week kind of in synchronicity with us doing an episode he described it as his middling take on it right okay <laughs> so that's his words not mine yeah um he said i enjoyed the strong violent pc chat about it though andy wins quote of the week with his comments about czechoslovakian cartoons oh thank you you got anything else uh yeah i've got some miscellaneous items here i've got Gorehound getting in touch. Actually, sorry about this, Lewis, but we, we have just settled on another side quest. But Gorehound suggesting one himself, saying, Great episode, lads. Is it true the new side quest is Swords and Sorcerers? Asking for a friend. <laughs> um, uh, as you may have now heard, it is not Swords and Sorcerers. It is, in fact, Pictures Revisited. I mean, call me cynical, but I have a feeling that Lewis might be just trying to smuggle this cover in the Sword and the Sorcerer in through the back door. Yeah, much as the kind of long game that Darren Gaskell's been playing where soft Nazis must die. You know what? I actually, I might just pick it for an Andy vs. Mitch episode in the future. Good. Just like, if I watch it and like it, I might do that. I won't do it as a concessionary thing. But if I watch it and enjoy it, then I'll punt it up list. Uh, anything else before we move on? Yeah, we got an email. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> We actually got this a week or so ago, but because getting an email is such a kind of rarity for us, we totally forgot to mention it, so apologies in advance. We are such poison. We always talk about the fact that we never get any emails, and when we do, we just forget about them. I know. Sorry. We're, we're fucking useless. Uh, Kenny Bonella got in touch over email just to say, okay. this feels a bit weird, but found you guys through the appearance on Unsung. Now, that was you, Mitch. You appeared on the Unsung podcast a while ago. That was fun. Uh, that's a great podcast, actually. Go check that out. Yeah. Uh, been rinsing the back catalogue while out on walks to get away from home working for a while and been watching Gremlins 2 today for the first time since listening to that episode. Absolutely howling. Loved it since I saw it at the pictures but with your chat as the commentary dot 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 it feels like there was maybe more to come there but 
Uh, I'm going to speculate and say that it was a success. Cool, that's great. Um, thanks for getting in touch, Kenny. Always nice to hear about people and how they found the show. Yeah, amazing. Very cool. So that's my lot for feedback this week. Yeah, I've really got nothing else. Well, in that case... Once again, time then for Mitch's Pitches. Now, Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. Now, it will fall to me to describe this to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. Now, we will also share this everywhere so you guys can join in, Mm -hmm. uh, which many people did last week with Manhattan Baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, reappropriated by me as Red Eyes on Crazy Paving, aka Past a Point of No Return. <laughs> um, and yes, we have had a few people getting in touch this week, so here's the pick of the bunch. Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. A woman unwittingly buys her kid a pet snake possessed by the ghost of a child out to exact revenge on her murderer. When the snake escapes into NYC, it leaves a slithery trail of mayhem in its wake as it seeks its target in 1982's Tipping the Scales. Lovely. Very nice. Cosmic Ray Girl, Terry Fide, very good, and her mm. pet snake Steven are out ice skating when an icy fog storm engulfs them and breaks the ice. Can they escape? It's 1998's Freezing Steven. Right. Keir O'Brien on Twitter. Something is rumbling in the dark alleys of the city, and it isn't just her tummy. Something is loose on the streets in New York, and it isn't just her bowels. When anthropology graduate Bell E. Constriction... <laughs> <laughs> visits a tribe deep in the Amazon rainforest while researching for her thesis, she gets more than she bargained for as she's forced into an ancient ritual and used as a host for the great but bafflingly unassumingly named god, Choki Gary. <laughs> <laughs> now she's back in the States and her academic career is quickly growing, along with the serpentine deity inside her belly. Can she hold Choki Gary in, or will her life, along with the fate of the world, be in danger as he forces his way out? Find out if you can survive the viewing experience without turning hysterical. It's 1991's Constipython. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. James Rodriguez, the sleepy town of Salty Load. is <laughs> to be knocked down to pave the way for a car park for a nearby city's Burger King. But the developers are turning up dead, with a white-haired woman being sighted by survivors. Having heard the tales, academic student Gregory Goulash arrives to research the spirit of Salty Load. But it soon transpires that the white-haired woman is not at fault. The real perpetrator is a venomous anaconda, ascended into spiritual form by a mythical sawmill worker who wants to stop the forcible gentrification of his hometown. How many more have to die at the ghostly fangs of this snake? It's 1991's Snakes on an Astral Plane. Oh, <laughs> And Kevin Matthews, when an Italian writer, suave Stevie GB, is plagued by the visions of a woman impregnated with a serpent's egg, he realises that the spirit is trying to warn him of a similar danger about to befall his wife, Phoebe GB. (laughs) (laughs) Is his vision even real, or a hallucination brought about due to the potent mixture of writing deadlines, attempts to start a family, and the many cups of acid-laced coffee that Stevie has every day? And why have other women in the city been found mutilated in the reptile room of nearby Bioparca de Roma? It's the once thought lost Giallo masterpiece, The Black Mamba Sits Within the Whispering Eye. (laughs) (laughs) I love fake Giallo titles so much. Um, That's your lot for this week. Best character name and best pitch, please. Uh, Best character name to Choki Gary. Of course, what else? Yep. Yep. And uh, best pitch to Hannah. Okay, uh, so Kian and Hannah, this week's winners. A whole load of nothing on its way to both of you. My turn then. Yeah, you ready? Yeah. Here you go. Okay, okay.
Right. God, this took me a minute. Right. Okay, I'm there. Right. Um, okay, no border to this image. The background is a skyline. Mm. With sun breaking through the clouds by the looks of it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcoming in a brighter day, but not for the headless man in this picture. <laughs> he has a head, if anything, he's bodiless. That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it depends on whether you're a glass half full or a glass half empty <laughs> person, I guess. But uh, yes, in the foreground of this image, we have a human man's head looking upwards and uh, screaming. It is not attached to a body. Not that we can see. No. There is an eagle above it, wings spread, uh, dripping blood from its face? Body? Dripping blood from somewhere. I think it's a mixture of its talons, its face, and it, perhaps its body. It's strongly implied that this eagle has recently mauled someone or something. Yeah, probably the blood-soaked head below it. That's quite possible. Uh, I would say. That, I would say that that's 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 the connection I'm choosing to make. <laughs> um, also, in the background of this image, there are, are uh, kind of like a, a, a swarm of other birds, mm-hmm. and also to the right of the image, there are just some miscellaneous wings. Now, Mitch, I'm going to throw a spanner in your works here because it appears to me like this man has his arms outstretched and is perhaps wearing a glowing robe because there's a hand on the right hand side there yeah potentially wearing some PPE or perhaps also a priest or mm. <laughs> I suppose anything else that necessitates wearing a white robe but yeah there you go uh, so Screaming Man looks on while Eagle with bloodied talons and beak flies overhead flanked by other birds against a sun soaked skyline lovely okay I'll need a moment <laughs> Now I can tell you that this film probably wouldn't qualify for my uh, Nature Gone Wild side quest, and that might be hard to believe from the image. That is interesting. The the one that I'm pitching certainly would. (laughs) Amazing. It's it's always weird to me when birds are chosen as the kind of protagonist. Sometimes you, you, you look at an animal film and you think, really? Birds was the best you could get? Yeah, I hear that. Because, I don't know, they don't scream menace to me. I don't know, I mean like... You ever had a seagull try and steal a sandwich out of your hand? I have actually had a seagull fly down and take the fish out of a fish supper. Uh, I have seen a seagull steal a sandwich off my uh, friend of mine. I have also had a seagull try and steal a Greg sausage roll from me, but I put up too much of a fight. <laughs> I will not rescind the sausage roll to you, you feathery no. bastard. I was, I'm, I'm making it sound like I conquered it with like brute strength, but what I did was flail, inevitably. <laughs> because in life, what do I do if not flail? I had a vision of you just grabbing the seagull by its neck and just slamming it down on the ground. Just like, no! <laughs> I, I just I, I just flailed my arms enough for it to consider that it was more bother than it's worth. Or you flailed your arms sufficiently that it thought you were a bird brother. Yeah, uh, just a very panicked bird. <laughs> However, on the subject of panicked or panic-inducing birds, um, sure. I have a pitch ready. Okay. It's just another night on the job at the Wazo Tewer Avery. Oh, okay. French. Or so it would appear to new employee and avid bird watcher Spex Featherby. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. However, things aren't as they appear. Unfortunately, the bird's drinking water has been contaminated following a spill at the nearby Genericem chemical factory. Uh-huh. Saddled with the sizable responsibility of opening the Avery himself in the morning, Spex is abruptly drew barrymored in the opening scene when he is abruptly mauled by a ravenous zombie-like eagle. On account of Spex being incapacitated by his untimely death, his responsibilities as both apprentice birdsman and protagonist fall to humble custodian Lester Buckets. Can Lester save the day before the ravenous birds ascend on the town? Find out in the blistering 1977 birds homage, where eagles scare, flight of the living dead. Okay, okay, right, that's fine. So what is this really? My year was 1977. Uh, 1987 is the actual year. <laughs> uh, it's always nice to be out by a nice round number. Yeah, and the film, 
variously titled, right? Uh, okay. Killing birds, colon, raptors. <laughs> or okay. just killing birds, but perhaps best known uh, and retitled as Zombie 5, Killing Birds. So the fifth entry in the Zombie Flesh Eaters franchise. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. No worries. Right. Uh, so what is this about? Although I think I can roughly guess. And who's synopsisizing? Well, you've got some choices here, Mitch. Interesting. Go on. You can either have an extremely short synopsis from Acid Jan. Okay. Or you can have a slightly longer synopsis from Claudio Carvalho. I'll take Claudio Carvalho, please. I thought you might. <clears throat> in Louisiana, a soldier returning from Vietnam finds his wife in bed with her lover and he kills them both, as well as a couple of friends. But he is attacked by a bird and he loses his eyes. All right. Years later, the bodies have not been found and the former soldier is now a bird specialist living in a house nearby the swamp. When a group of college students go to the swamp on an assignment to research a species of woodpecker that is almost extinct, they head to Dr. Brown's house to get some tips on how to find the rare bird. They drive through the swamp where they find the house where the murders happened and they decide to stay there. During the night, weird things happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> you get a lot of the first ten pages there. And then <laughs> yeah, lose plenty to the imagination after that. Yeah, I'm gonna hazard a guess that you've seen this. Yeah, crucially, doesn't mention the fact that there are zombies later on in it. Nah, just weird stuff. Yeah, for like the last twenty minutes or something. I know only one person is attacked by a bird, so for the film to be called Killing Birds is a bit of a misnomer. Ah, okay, I see. Is it really good? Uh, not really. No. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's certainly not in any way a sequel to Zombie Flesh Eaters, and it should never be considered as such. Really. Right, sure. Okay, that makes sense. That concludes Mitch's pictures for this week. That image is everywhere. You know what to do. Get on it and send us some pictures along. We love reading them. They're always funnier than Mitch's or mine. Yeah, that is almost certainly true. Streaming platforms then, for May 31st to June 6th. Loads of stuff this week. Amazon Prime on Tuesday. You've got Darren Aronofsky's mother. Oh, a divisive one. Yes, um, uh, rocking a sturdy 68% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and a less sturdy 11% on the Mitch scale. Wow, is that, is that what you've given it? Is that your, uh... <laughs> That's harsh, but I don't like this film at all. Yeah. Um, but um, a poet and his wife lead a tranquil existence in a burnt-out house. However, when uninvited guests come barging in, the couple's life turns chaotic and shocking events unfold. Uh, also on Amazon Prime on Tuesday, a lot of people are going to be pleased about this one, uh, St. Maud. Oh, cool. Lovely. Yeah, and debut feature from uh, Rose Glass, played Freight Fest Glasgow in 2020, and now available on Prime from Tuesday. Maud is a reclusive young nurse whose impressionable demeanour causes her to pursue a pious path of Christian devotion after an obscure trauma. Now charged with the hospice care of Amanda, a retired dancer ravaged by cancer, Maud's fervent faith quickly inspires an obsessive conviction that she must save her ward's soul from eternal damnation, whatever the cost. Sky Cinema then, on Friday we've got New Mutants. Oh right, okay. Uh, five teenage mutants undergo treatments at a secret institution that will cure them of their dangerous powers. Invited by Dr. Cecilia Reyes to share their stories, their memories soon turn to terrifying realities as they start to question why they're being held and who is trying to destroy them. Ooh. Onwards to Netflix then, a couple of catalogue titles coming on Tuesday, got 2005's Boogeyman. Oh, okay. <laughs> which is the first, I believe, in a trilogy. As a young boy, Tim was haunted in his sleep by the images of the Boogeyman. Now an adult, Tim discovers that the Boogeyman is more than just a ghastly vision. Also, we've got Summoned, a 2013 TV film starring Cuba Gooding Jr. 
Uh, when two people who serve on the jury for one of San Francisco's most high-profile cases turn up dead, a third juror fears she's next. Reasonable assumption. Sounds smoky. Does a little bit, doesn't it? Shudder, then. A couple of catalogue titles coming on Monday in 1972's The Asphyx. Okay. A gentleman photographer in Victorian England tries to trap the human spirit at the moment of death. As directed by Peter Newbrook and starring Robert Stevens. Uh, also on Monday in 1967's The Sorcerers. Right. A sinister story of mind control in which an amiable old professor creates a device enabling one person to direct the thoughts of another and experience the sensations they feel. It's directed by Michael Reeves and starring Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving a little bit more up to date on Tuesday with Nicholas Pesky's Piercing. Yeah, I saw that was coming. Yeah, good film this one. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Um, a man leaves his wife and baby for a business trip with a plan to check into a hotel, call an escort service and kill an unsuspecting sex worker. This does not go to plan. <laughs> no. So this is a very fest a couple of years back. Really, really like it. On uh, Thursday, we've got Caveat, a different caveat, of course, from the one that landed on Netflix a little while ago. <laughs> Lone drifter Isaac accepts a job to look after his landlord's niece Olga for a few days in an isolated house on a remote island. It seems like easy money, but there's a catch. He must wear a leather harness and chains that restrict his movements to certain rooms. Wow, that sounds weird. Yeah, once Olga's uncle Barrett leaves the two alone, a game of cat and mouse ensues. Of course it does, as Olga displays increasingly erratic behaviour and a trapped Isaac makes a series of horrific discoveries in the house. Interesting. And to wrap up, a couple of things coming to the Arrow player on Tuesday. Got Dakra. This played at Frightfest. 2018, I believe, a young journalism student and her friend become trapped in an isolated village while trying to solve a gruesome criminal case that is over 25 years old. And X-Row 3, watch the skies. Jesus Christ, I mean. From 1995, Marines travel to a deserted island to defuse bombs, only to be terrorised by a deadly alien creature. Bit of a weird week. Very weird week. For the pick, I would say probably St. Maud. I think I'm going to have to say Saint Maud as well, although I think I probably liked Mother marginally more than you did. Uh, Yes, that is not difficult. Uh, turning our attentions to this week's show then we do have another guest and it is a returning guest and I think this had to happen sooner or later yeah it feels uh, quite timely as well in a way absolutely he is of course the writer and director of A Ghost Waits you also know him from the Gremlins 2 episode of this show our last in person guest now a full 14 months ago we welcome back Adam Stovall yeah I'm really happy and excited to have Adam back and frankly a bit bewildered by his film choice yeah now sometimes people pick films that you haven't seen andy it's very seldom that people pick films that you haven't heard of i had no fucking idea what we were getting into with this film at all it's available to watch in its entirety on youtube i think aside from that it's quite difficult to get your hands on weird one again i suppose in a kind of similar vein to well not in a similar vein to teen witch at all but in so much as it was a discussion that had to happen about whether or not we thought it was suitable but we figured it was sci-fi enough that we could get away with it yes keep us in suspense no longer andy what are we doing we are going back to 1985. That's correct. For My Science Project. My Science Project. Now, we will be letting you know a little bit more about that one in as much as we'll be letting you know where you can find it. I'll share the link because um, there's no other way to see it. Yeah, here. not that we could find anyway. So we'll share the YouTube link so you guys can catch up with it. It's a very, very interesting one. <laughs> yeah. 
and a really fun conversation as well. We are joined by a Ghost Witch director, Adam Stovall, this week to talk my science project. If you want to get in touch with us about that or anything else, you know what to do. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC. You can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. And don't forget, of course, you can also join the conversation on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yes, thank you very much, Mitch. And of course, we will be back this week with some content for all y'all patrons out there. Yep, good stuff coming this week. However, back in your main feeds this Friday, talking my science project with Adam Stovall. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 